Informing America's farmers and ranchers. This is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen. And welcome to AOA here today, Agriculture of America. Thank you for joining us. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. Today's program brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn to optimize performance in all engines. Find your nearest Cenex location online at Cenex.com. Everyday products powered locally by Cenex. Coming up here on today's program in segment two, we're going to talk with Dow Brantley from USA Rice. He's also the chair of Arkansas Rice. We're going to talk about some of the trade issues that the U.S. has with India. We're also going to get an update on this year's rice crops across the country. We're going to have that conversation in segment two. In segment three today, we're going to learn more about the Poultry Grower Fairness Act and what exactly is this act and is it striking a balance or is it federal overreach? Kelly Lester, policy analyst for the Center for Food, Power, and Life at the John Locke Foundation will join us to discuss And in segment four today, we're going to continue our harvest tour. We'll talk with LG Seeds agronomist Bryant Lures. He covers southeast Iowa, northeast Missouri. We're going to get an update on harvest progress in his territory. All that and more coming up today on AOA. First up, though, here on today's program, uh, harvest is a extra stressful time on the farm and uh, on the ranch. It's stressful, though, all year round, just trying to make sure you stay up with all the chores and have the conversations about uh, the income and the balance sheets and more. Well, Mississippi State University has produced a documentary called On the Farm. It has won a couple Emmy Awards, and it really shines a light uh, on the conversation about stress on the farm. Here to tell Tell us more about the film. He is uh, associate professor at Mississippi State University, and he is uh, with Mississippi State Extension a Health Specialist. David Buys is with us here today on AOA. David, thanks so much for joining us on the show. How are you? Hey, I'm great. Thanks so much for having me. Well, David, first off, uh, tell us a little bit about the documentary On the Farm. I know uh, you guys told uh, quite a uh, quite a wide range of stories here, and looking at stress on the farm. So just to start kind of an overview can you give us a little bit of background on the documentary on the farm yeah and, and uh, brevity is not always my strong suit but i will i will do my best so i uh, started in 2017 with a grant from usda to uh, uh tackle some of the opioid misuse of op- opioid crisis we were experiencing across the country um long story short it uh we we went got in a very circuitous uh manner to uh developing this this documentary that tells the stories of one farmer who is actually in recovery from opioid misuse, as well as that of three other farmers and stressors that they feel that often uh, may lead to, to opioid misuse. We're um, very grateful to USDA for the support for this film, as well as SAMHSA, the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration. Um, and it was uh, through a joint, joint funding effort from both of those entities and collaboration with our TV center here at Mississippi State University that we were able to um, wind up with this just absolutely gorgeous uh, piece of work that has given us many opportunities to tackle um, and talk about the challenges that farmers face. Well, and I think a lot of those challenges as well, I mean, you you mentioned that the the opioid crisis and just the stigma around mental health and and prioritizing your well-being on and off the farm and 
you know, as I alluded to as well, especially during a, a busy time of year like harvest. I mean, we're running fast. We want to get things done as quickly as we can. And, and sometimes that can that can lead to very high stress levels. But it's not something that's just confined to one part of the year either. I, you know, of course, I mean, there's stress levels at all times, it feels like, uh, on the farm throughout the year, David. That's absolutely right. We did a little bit of, uh, well, we, we, of course, um, tapped into the research that's already been done, but did some research of our own here in Mississippi to help us better understand what farmers perceive as stressful um, in their day-to-day work. Some of the things that showed up were uh, some regulation kinds of things, but really what, what showed up by and large were things like commodity prices, machinery breakdowns, uh, weather, changing weather patterns that are unpredictable, um, interest rate issues, livestock illnesses, crop yield, um, and, and family challenges, family disagreements about how to how to operate the farm, especially when you've got multiple generations um, and and kind of um, wings of a family working on working on one place. These are all things that are um, challenging for farmers and and things that many of which are are out of their control. So that's a that's a thread among farm stress that's a little different from stressors for other folks that work in other industries and, and that's so much of what impacts their um what they what they produce is out of their control weather and markets and mm-hmm. so many of those things well david i know that uh, along with the film uh, it's available for folks to watch so we want them to watch it i know as well uh, i believe you were telling me there's some discussion guides available surrounding this as well so uh, can you talk about all of that for us too yeah, yeah, and let me just say that, that just a little bit more clarity on the film itself. It's four story, four stories of four farmers. We've got four expert voices layered in there with the farmers. We cover dairy, we cover row crops, uh, we cover uh, farms, uh, um, farm safety issues and an accident uh, that happened, recovery from that accident. We got the 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 um, farmer who's in recovery from uh, opioid misuse, um, and and what we developed to go along with the films themselves were. Uh, was this discussion guide that that folks can use uh, identify questions that may be helpful with maybe a group after they watch the film we've we've done uh, more than 25 screenings now with different audiences and i am very happy to uh, connect with any of our listeners out there who want to get a copy of the discussion guide um, find the film itself at on the farm life on the farm life again uh, discussion guide. I'll need to put a put a query in through the website or email me directly at david.buys at msstate.edu. david.buys at msstate.edu. I'll share the discussion guide. I'll share slides that we've developed to go along with this. Um, and again, will make myself available as I'm able to um, get out and and uh, facilitate a discussion as well. And again, uh, that website you mentioned, onthefarm.life. And uh, of course, as you mentioned, folks can reach out to you for that info. And David, I think at the end of the day, uh, great work that you guys have done here with this uh, documentary on the farm. And just uh, overall, to kind of sum it all up, it's important for us to highlight some of these challenges. And to your point, have the discussions and the conversations uh, just so we we make sure that our farmers and ranchers stay healthy, right? That's that is it. Um, that is it. That's what this is all about. Is just prompting discussion that hopefully leads us to think a little bit differently and a little bit more comprehensively about how we can respond and make a difference for those that um, feed the world. 
Definitely. Again, uh, David, that contact info for you uh, one more time. You want to share that with us if folks have uh, questions or want more information? Absolutely. David.buys, D-A-B-I-D dot B-U-Y-S at msstate.edu. Again, that's D-A-B-I-D dot B-U-Y-S at msstate.edu. Shoot me an email and I'll be glad to work with you on how uh, this might be useful for your audiences. And again, you can also find more information and watch On the Farm online at onthefarm.life. We've been talking with David Bynes with Mississippi State University and Mississippi State Extension. David, thanks so much for joining us here on AOA today. We really appreciate the time. Thanks again. All right, coming up next here on AOA, powered by Cenex, Maxtron, Synthetic Diesel, Engine Oil, oil that runs smart. We'll talk with Dow Brantley from USA Rice. That's on the way next here on AOA, Agriculture of America. Challenge. It's not something you shy from. It's a chance to up your game. Every day brings a new challenge, but with the Enhanced Channel Seed brand on your side, you can rise to it. With our top-performing seed, innovative digital tools, and expanded agronomic support, you can turn tomorrow's challenges into your next advantage. Your Enhanced Channel Seed brand. Let's rise to the challenge. Learn more at channel.com rise. Read and follow pesticide label directions, IRM, grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. Spot less. Introducing the cleanup for tar spot, gray leaf spot, southern rust, and more. Novel next generation at Astrio fungicide. Broadens your spectrum and strengthens your residual when it comes to foliar disease control in corn. Visit your FMC retailer or at astrio.ag.fmc.com to clean up this season. Follow 2WE for tar spot management in corn. Valid until 131.28. Always read and follow all label directions. The average American eats 250 eggs per year, which translates to a total annual consumption of 76.5 billion eggs in the U.S. About 60% of eggs produced here in the U.S. are used by consumers and about 9% are used by the food service industry. A chef's hat is said to have a pleat for each of the many ways you can cook eggs. The color can range from white to deep brown. Hens with white feathers and earlobes lay white-shelled eggs, while hens with red feathers and earlobes lay brown-shelled eggs. Because breeds that lay brown eggs are typically slightly larger birds, they require more food, making brown eggs usually more expensive than white. You can tell whether an egg is fresh or stale by dropping it in water. A fresh egg will sink, but a stale one will float. Eggs also contain all the essential protein, minerals, and vitamins, and egg yolks are one of the few foods that naturally contain vitamin D. And eggs are also good for your eyes because they contain lutein, which helps prevent age-related cataracts and muscle degeneration. These farm facts brought to you by the American Ag Network. Nothing offers an opportunity to bond and give thanks quite like breaking bread together. This is especially true as we welcome our troops back home and keep those who are still stationed overseas in our hearts. Hi, I'm Gary Sinise. Since 2011, the Gary Sinise Foundation's Serving Heroes program has shown gratitude to our nation's defenders and their families by serving up nearly 500,000 hearty classic American meals at travel hubs and military locations. And now, together with our friends at Bob Evans Farms and their Our Farm Salutes program, we will help to provide even more meals nationwide, offering our defenders a taste of home and a feeling of togetherness around the table. Help us show America's gratitude through food and fellowship. Look for the Bob Evans Our Farm Salutes purple packaging at your grocery store and visit ourfarmsalutes.com. 
to learn more. While we can never do enough to support the men and women who serve, together we can make a difference, bite by bite. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed, AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to AOA, Agriculture of America, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. You can find your nearest Cenex location online by visiting Cenex.com. Right now, we want to take a look at what is going on in the rice industry. There's some things that are going on with trade policy. We also want to get some updates on the uh, position of USA Rice when it comes to the farm bill and, and talk about this year's rice crops in general. Joining us now is Dow Brantley. He is a rice, soybean, corn, cotton farmer near England, Arkansas. He's on several committees and boards for USA Rice. Is also the chair of Arkansas Rice and Dow Thanks so much for joining me here on AOA today. I hope you're doing well. Yeah, yeah uh, thank you, Jesse. I'm glad to be here. Well, let's start, and I, I just want to get caught up to speed. There's been uh, congressional action to force India into trade compliance here when it comes to uh, some of the different market manipulation type things that India is doing in the rice market. And I know there was a recent uh, ban on non-Basmati rice, et cetera. So can you just maybe get us up to speed on this whole situation with India and, and their rice trade and how it's affecting uh, U.S. rice producers here, Dow? Sure. I, yeah, I'll do the best that I can. But, you know, the USA Rice has been working with Congress, and Congress has just introduced some new legislation to, to help with that, uh, prioritizing uh, offensive agriculture disputes and enforcement act. And what we're trying to do is get the WTO, USTR, to work with the WTO to, to take a country like India, who's been a bad actor, uh, to follow the rules, to play within the uh, the commitments of the WTO. Mm -hmm. uh, for, for years, they've been uh, dumping rice onto the market, uh, which, which hurts all of us. And uh, maybe with this new legislation that will uh, encourage the USTR to uh, uh, get it in gear and uh, work with the WTO. Well, and obviously with everything that India is doing, I can't imagine, uh, Dow, that this is good for, for U.S. rice producers. It's got to be tough on, on markets, on export markets, et cetera. I, I mean, I can't imagine that the things that India has been doing has been very helpful to our producers here in the U.S. It's not. Our, our, historically, our prices are typically on the high side of world prices. But, you know, what India is doing, their government is subsidizing their farmers in a way uh, through their production costs and whatnot to, to uh, substantially lower the price of what they're offering to the world. So they're dumping a lot of rice and have been for some time onto the world markets. And uh, that, that takes other countries, not just U.S., uh, out from competing uh, who are complying with the WTO agreements. And we, we just want to uh, have fair trade and uh, to compete that way. Not not gov not us competing against government. Okay, fantastic. Well, we'll continue to watch the situation. I know it's going to be an ongoing process, and uh, as you mentioned, uh, that congressional action, a uh, 
joint task force uh, is being established there with the USTR more. So we're going to continue to watch that situation and with the WTO and more. I want to ask you about the farm bill. Obviously, we're dealing with uh, everything going on in D.C. right now with a shutdown and still trying to get a farm bill figured out. Can you uh, provide us some thoughts uh, from USA Rice's perspective on some of the things that you want to see in the new farm bill? You know, first of all, we need this farm bill. We need it. We need we need a stronger safety net. Uh, I, I think a big priority for USA Rice is, is to, to try to work out a way, find a way to have a higher reference price. Um, that, that would then give us some security or the safety net, the term I used a minute ago. But that's what we need. The safe, the uh, $14 hundredweight reference price we're working under today is 12 or 13 years old. And I don't have to tell you or anyone about how much costs have gone up uh, over the last 10 or 12 years. Yeah, costs have gone up substantially. And I, I think about some of those prices, like you mentioned, you know, 10, 15-year-old price levels. I mean, it, it really feels like we're due to get a lot of this updated in the farm bill. It just seems so important, Dow. It, it, it is. I mean, th- just put it in perspective, if rice prices fell back – to $14, that would wipe us out. Uh, so this has uh, been good. It served us well. $14 is just not an effective price to help us sustain us in those tough times. Uh, we've got to get that price up. What else with the farm bill? Uh, anything else beyond uh, what you mentioned there with that reference price? Uh, anything else from USA Rice's perspective that you guys want to see in the farm bill? You know, there's you know always improving uh, uh, our crop insurance. Uh, there's some uh, other things that uh, are food aid programs that are important to us all that, that you don't necessarily hear about in farm bill discussions. And then our promotional programs that are sponsored through the USDA MAP and FMD programs. Uh, those are all funded through this farm bill and those would be top priorities for us. Uh, but I think the biggest thing is uh, let's not kick the can down the road. Let's try to get this thing passed. Definitely. And I think it's important to to get it passed. We want to get it done right, but we also have to understand, too, I think, Dow, that eventually here um, we can't kick down, kick the can down the road too much longer, and then we got to try to get something done in regards to a farm bill. But I think a lot of that also comes back to all of the, the partisan fighting that we have going on from both sides in D.C. right now. You're right, which is unbelievable. And um uh, maybe they they can resolve some of those issues and get to um, get to work and passing some of this legislation that's needed. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. We're talking with Dow Brantley from USA Rice. Uh, let's talk about this year's rice crop. I, I'd love to hear how things have uh, gone this season, how things are shaping up uh, in the Mid-South, the Delta states. Uh, what are you uh, seeing on your operation? What are you hearing from uh, farmers around the region? How, how are things shaping up here in 2023? You know, we've had a, a a good production season. It's been extremely hot and extremely dry. The rice harvest is wrapping up. I would think as a state, uh, we're probably 85% complete as of today, which is a good thing. Um, yields are maybe uh, uh, five bushels better than average. Uh, but where we're struggling this year with rice is our milling quality, milling yield. 
is is off substantially, and that's due to the excessive heat we experienced back in July and August. But overall, we're having a good crop. Uh, we're fortunate here in the Delta. We have a lot of irrigation, and we uh, we're able to work our way through the big time dry spill. With a uh, wrapping up harvest here, you mentioned uh, some of those issues with the milling quality, but overall things looking good. Is there anything that you're concerned about with this harvest season? I know there's a lot of worry about the uh, the lower Mississippi River water levels being low. I don't know if that's an issue that could rear its head for, for U.S. rice producers or not, but just wondering if there's any logistical type challenges or anything here as we're wrapping up harvest season that's on your mind. You know, for the rice, it could affect our exports. Uh, but as the new crop rolls in, those exports are, are several months down the road. But just what's affecting us today is as we're trying to wrap up our soybean harvest, uh, having enough storage where we typically could dump these beans on a barge and move them down river pretty quick, that is not happening. Um, so we are having to park all these beans inland. And uh, basis levels are as high as we've seen them in a long time. Uh, sad thing is we went through this same scenario last year. And um, But I bet we'll work our way through it. I bet it rains up in the Ohio River Valley and the river will flow again. Well, that's what we can hope for. Dow, before we let you go, uh, we've covered quite a bit here today on the show, and I do appreciate the time. Anything final you would, you would mention or reiterate to folks uh, about what's going on in the rice industry right now? You know, it's just from my perspective, uh, the USA rice farmer, we're growing the most uh, affordable, safest product in the world. I think that's important to remember as you're out buying uh, rice on the shelf is buy U.S. rice first. Uh, we might not be the cheapest every day, but we are uh, the most affordable or, or the, the safest um, that you can find. Fantastic. Well, you could find more information as well about USA Rice very easily online, usarice.com. And today we've been talking with Dow Brantley, a rice, soybean, corn, cotton farmer near England, Arkansas. He's uh, on several committees and boards for USA Rice. He's also the chair of Arkansas Rice. And Dow, really appreciate the conversation. Thanks for joining us today on AOA, and we will talk to you again real soon. Thanks, Jesse. Great stuff there once again from Dow Brantley with USA Rice and the chair of Arkansas Rice. And again, find more info online, usarice.com. All right, coming up next here on AOA, we are going to learn more about the Poultry Grower Fairness Act. What exactly is this act? What would it do? It was introduced by Senator John Fetterman here recently. Is this something that would help out poultry growers nationwide? Some folks are claiming it could be another case of potential federal overreach. We're going to learn more. We're going to dive into the uh, legislation and talk about the pros and cons with Kelly Lester, policy analyst for the Center for Food, Power, and Life with the John Locke Foundation. She will join us next here on AOA, Agriculture of America. Today's program brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. We'll be back with more on the way right after the break. When people look at your farm, they just see corn. But to you, it's a lot more than that. It's a college fund, your retirement plan, and it deserves trait protection that can stand up to heavy pressure threats like corn woodworm. SmartStacks Pro with RNAi technology is trusted on over 1 million acres to protect the things that mean more. Trade up at smartstackspro.com. 
Always read and follow pesticide label directions. IRM, where applicable, grain marketing, and all other stewardship practices. Copyright 2023, Bayer Group. All rights reserved. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, where we take a close look at the benefits of cooperative ownership. Every week, we'll host a new guest and discuss how you can get the most from working with your local cooperative. And we'll learn why farmers and ranchers just like you choose cooperatives to help them persevere and prosper. Tune in each Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Risvet with this Market Update. Markets are mixed to lower this morning. Corn is off a couple of pennies. Beans are off 9 or 10 cents, while wheat is mixed. Chicago and Minneapolis slightly higher. Kansas City is mixed itself. Livestock is also lower this morning. Feeders leading the way there. Fat's not too far behind, but hogs are also feeling pressure. Now, soybean and corn futures, they were lower in overnight trading as well, continuing it here today with U.S. harvest continuing and crop conditions improving. Producers have collected 23% of the soybean crop. That's up from 12% a week earlier and ahead of the prior five-year average of 22%. About 52% of the U.S. beans were in good to excellent condition as of Sunday. That's up from 50% seven days earlier. Corn harvest is also at 23% finish. That's up from 15% the previous week and ahead of the normal 21% for this time of year. Some 53% of the crop earned top ratings unchanged week to week. 82% of U.S. corn was mature at the start of the week. That's up from 70% a week earlier and ahead of the prior five-year average of 75%. Winter wheat planting, meanwhile, is moving along at 40% planted as of Sunday. That's up from 26% the previous week, but behind the average of 43%. 15% of the crop has emerged from the ground. That's up from 7% a week ago and just behind the normal 16%. Stone X's October customer survey pegged this year's U.S. corn crop at 15.202 billion bushels on a yield of 175.5 bushels per acre. That's up from 175 bushels the previous month. They're seeing a modest trend overall of better than expected yields versus expectations of a month ago. The VIX is trading near 19 this morning. That's reflecting some elevated angst on Wall Street, while the dollar index is trading at fresh 10-month highs, and crude oil prices are also modestly higher. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Ristvet. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover keytar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. Information America's farmers and ranchers need. AOA. Now, back to Jesse Allen. 
And welcome back to AOA, Agriculture of America, here today. Jesse Allen back with you. The show brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Find your local Cenex location online, Cenex.com. Right now, we want to turn our attention to learning more about the Poultry Grower Fairness Act. What exactly is this? How could this impact the poultry industry and more? And I find this uh, very interesting. This came across my desk here the other day, so we wanted to learn more about it. Joining us now, Kelly Lester, Policy Analyst for the Center for Food, Power, and Life with the John Locke Foundation. Kelly, thank you so much for joining us here today. I hope you're doing well. Of course, I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. Well, let's dive into this. And can you, just to start, give us some context about what this is, what the the good or the bad is of this Poultry Grower Fairness Act. I know this was introduced by Senator John Fetterman. Uh, can you provide some context of, about what's going on here to start? Yeah, so the thing with the agriculture industry, specifically livestock, is it's highly vertically integrated, right? You have small farmers working with huge corporations, and they kind of have to, especially as there's more integration in this sector. We see, you know, corporations getting bigger and less and less small companies, right? And one of the problems in this is that there's a power imbalance. You can have a large corporation forcing a small farmer to sign into a contract that may not be ideal for them, right? That may not even be um, sound business practices, right? And there's very little a small farmer can do to sue in cases in which there is, you know, this power imbalance, right? Mm -hmm. There is, back in 1921, the Packers and Stockyard Act was passed, which was supposed to give the USDA power to investigate these, these types of issues, right? And go into action and actually enforce um, repercussions onto these corporations, right? However, the Packard and Stockyard Act does not include poultry growers. There's kind of this convoluted language. It's a loophole, right? Okay. And so as of now, if a poultry farmer wants to sue, not only, A, will they have a hard time getting legal representation because they're usually, most lawyers are not paid in these kind of situations, so they don't take these cases. So not only is that an issue, but they have to go through the DOJ, which then has to go, it has to go through the whole DOJ process and then to the USDA. And so there's very little the USDA can do when it comes to poultry growers. So that being said, John Fetterman, about two months ago, almost exactly two months ago, introduced the Poultry Growers Fairness Act, which will do kind of three big things. The biggest thing is that it gives the USDA power to investigate and deal repercussions to these corporations, right? The second thing it does is that it would uh, reclassify what poultry grower means in the Packers and Starkyard Act. So it's basically just an amendment to that 1921 Act, right? To uh, not only allow for people who are growing poultry for food production, but for people who are also, you know, growing hens, uh, eggs, that kind of stuff, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, so anyone involved in, in, in owning poultry would qualify now under this. And then the last thing it does is that it allows courts to reward fees to the plaintiff if the plaintiff wins. So that's kind of the general overview of what it does. The idea being that it kind of it fixes those loopholes, gives the USDA more power, um, would even out that power imbalance that is currently being seen in the poultry industry 
And on top of that, it would incentivize lawyers to take cases because they there's a better chance of getting them getting paid. Mm-hmm. And okay. it reclassifies it so everyone is included, right? Sure. So for the most part, it seems like a good solid bill. And I will leave it at that for you if you have any questions right off the bat here. Yeah, I, I would just follow up and say, to your point, it, it does seem like a fairly solid bill. It sounds like uh, to your what you said, closing a lot of loopholes and, and helping you know, with poultry growers to get a little more representation under that Packers and Stockyards Act here is what it kind of seems like and just kind of promoting fair competition and, and you exactly. know, market diversity. That's what it feels like this would do, right, Kelly? Yes, and, you know, when we talk about free markets, right, and, and how much people can benefit from them, right, it also requires that there's not so much power imbalances in markets that the free market can't actually do its job, Right. At that point, it becomes a, a failure in the marketplace. Mm-hmm. And so it is important that large corporations are checked on sometimes the amount of power they have, especially when it comes to working with small business. Uh, and especially in a day and age where we're seeing so many you know, small farmers uh, close, close up shop. So it's important. Very true. Very true. Well, obviously, Kelly, with every pro comes a con i feel like and i think as well and you brought this up in a recent article you wrote about this at uh, johnlock.org uh that it looks about you know it talks about the the issue of states rights versus federal overreach and federal authority and i know that's been a big topic of conversation throughout agriculture here in recent months, you think about like Prop 12, for instance, going through the Supreme Court, et cetera. So there's been a lot of talk about, you know, federal authority versus states' rights. So is that something that's maybe a con in this situation? Yeah, I would say it's probably the biggest con. Uh, I brought up two cons when I was first kind of looking into this. One of them, I think, is less of an issue. One of the cons being given, given or should we give the USDA more power? Because uh, I think it should always be a question of are agencies best to handle these situations and and which agency is the best one to handle them. But when I looked more into the the uh, Stockyard and Packers Act and saw that the USDA already handles this, you know, for for cow farmers, for pig farmers, obviously they have the capabilities to do it. They have an entire division that handles it, right? Mm-hmm. However, they just don't have jurisdiction over poultry growers. So in that case, I think that's less of a con now, now that I've you know, gotten more context on the, on the legislation. However, when it comes to the states' rights arguments, and I'm no constitutional lawyer. However, I did consult one. And I said, that, you know, this idea of awarding, um, you know, awarding the plaintiff if they win, right, fees, you know, paying for those fees. Is that something that is, you know, will we support it and we, you know, what are the constitutional, you know, constitutional repercussions of that? And his take was simply that, look, it, it's good to do that. It's always good for the defendant to have to pay the fees, you know, to the plaintiff and the play, plaintiff wins. However, he goes, usually contractual law like that is left up to states to decide. So, you know, so technically it isn't something the federal government should be requiring of courts, it should be done on the state level, but for the most part, the the actual idea of rewarding the fees isn't the problem. It's just simply, is this is this federal overreach? And I think, again, like I said, we should always ask those types of questions. Is this too much? Is this stepping too far into state boundaries? Um, and you know, I wrote I wrote in my piece I did on this that you know for the state of North Carolina, which is where 
John Locke is located, that's something that if this law were to not pass, the state should look into at least doing that one provision in the bill, which would reward those fees so that at least poultry growers can have an easier chance getting representation, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It it seems to me uh, that the pros and the cons, the the pros maybe slightly outweigh the cons here, but really, uh, I mean, it could be taken either way, but it does, it does feel to me like the, the overall, the poultry grower fairness act could be a good thing uh, in the long run if it does pass. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. And uh, right now it's, it's, it was just, uh, it was read twice and referred to the um, Senate Agriculture Committee. So there hasn't been much movement on it yet. However, I would like to see more, and I, and I hope there is more movement on it, or at least talks of it. Because, uh, like, I, like I, I agree with you, I do think the pros outweigh the cons in this case. And uh, maybe that one provision ends up getting taken out, but then you, mm-hmm. then you would still deal with the same issue that lawyers don't want to take these cases, right? Sure. So there, you know, when we talk about economics, we talk about incentive structures a lot. That's a good incentive structure to give them, right? I, I should. So, yeah, yeah. I, you know, yeah, I'd like to see more movement with it. I think it's really positive, and the fact that at the end of the day, it's an amendment to legislation that has been good in the agriculture sector for so long, but hasn't been able to benefit everyone in the sector. So now it'll be able to do that if this law passes. I think that's very important for the industry. And I know you mentioned it's had a couple readings and there hasn't been a whole lot of movement on it. Have you heard any chatter of, you know, should this act move forward through Congress here uh, would it be something that could get tied to another piece of legislation potentially? I I, I don't en- I, I don't envision it maybe with a farm bill at this point, but maybe it would be after that. I, I, any chatter on that at all? I I haven't personally heard much about it, but I, I also work more at the state level, so sure. we're hearing more about what's going on in our state versus what's going on federally. Okay, uh, there has been a decent bit of writing about it online. It, it has gotten press. Um, so I think that's usually a good sign if there's, there's, you know, uh, news pressure as well. The more it gets out to the public, the more the public's aware, more public's aware, more pressure puts on Fetterman to get this law passed. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Uh, I think there might, you might see some pushback because it is a Fetterman bill. I mean, I think that was the biggest qualm I heard from anyone I talked to this about was, oh, Fetterman wrote it. I'm not sure about that. So even if it's good law, I think sometimes the name behind it can make a difference too in optics Mm -hmm. as to whether something you should or shouldn't vote for something. And so you always have to look at that as well. Politics is an interesting game. It definitely is. Well, Kelly, before we let you go real quick, anything else final you would share about this act or anything else to reiterate or mention here today? No, I think I think I got everything I wanted to get out across. Um, but yeah, I think it's just at this point we just keep our eyes on it and uh, hope that eventually this will you know come to fruition and poultry growers will get to have a little bit more say in in this in the supply chain that they work in. You know, mm-hmm. I totally agree with that. Policy analyst for the Center for Food Power and Life at the John Locke Foundation, Kelly Lester. Thanks for joining us on AOA today. We appreciate the time. Thank you so much. All right, up next, we'll get a harvest update from Northeast Missouri and Southeast Iowa with LG Seeds agronomist Bryant Lewers here on AOA, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel, fueled by innovation, power to perform. What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. 
Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans and if left untreated can lead to death. Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy, and productive lives. But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice US. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org. 54. So, basically, it's too late to start saving for retirement, right? Not right. Starting to save, even in your 50s, can really make a difference. Well, right now, saving seems hard to wrap my head around. Plus, with the way this year's been going... <laughs> hey, listen. It's okay. You still got this. Just go to aceyourretirement.org. It's an online tool from AARP that can help you get your retirement savings on track no matter your age. It's free and only takes about three minutes. I like three minutes. Yeah. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll chat with Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. Just answer a few questions and you'll get a personalized plan and tips to help boost your retirement savings. Tips that are easy to understand and tailored to your lifestyle. I like that too. Plus, it's sponsored by AARP, so you know they got your back. Just head to aceyourretirement.org and make your plan to start saving for retirement. Thanks. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. This is Around the Table, where we explore the benefits of cooperative ownership. It's National Co-op Month. Today, we're talking with Andrew Schaefer, a member of the CHS Sun Basin Growers Producer Board, about the benefits he finds in being a cooperative owner and leader. Andrew, with all the options available to support your farm operation, why do you choose to work with cooperatives? I think a large part of it is kind of the, the all-for-one mentality of cooperatives. Um, if a cooperative is more successful, it means me as an individual more successful. Also really like the opportunity to have a, a voice that's heard. Being a cooperative member within CHS and CHS Sun Basin Growers specifically, we have an equal vote. Well, you serve on your local co-op producer board. Why do you agree to take on a leadership role? I felt that if I wanted my kids to have the opportunity to the farm that I needed to have a voice and being a part of a cooperative leadership board really gave me the opportunity to amplify that voice and have others with me that were speaking the same language, trying to get across the same message that we're an important industry and we're out for helping the world, helping feed the world, helping our communities. And it just felt like a wonderful place to start. What have you learned about cooperatives during your time on the board that surprised you? Patronage. Patronage really jumped out at me right away. Making a buck farming anymore is, is pretty difficult. You got to be pretty good with a pencil, pretty good with your expenses. And the patronage is just amazing when you really think about it. Um, you buy in and you buy these products from these cooperatives. And then if the cooperative turns a profit, they share it. Well, we've been talking with Andrew Schaefer, a member of the CHS Sun Basin Growers Producer Board. Andrew, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you, Jesse. You have a good one. And thank you for joining us around the table. Learn more about the benefits of cooperative ownership at cooperativeownership.com. In today's troubled world, our USA Armed Forces stand ready to protect you, your family, and our American way of life. 
When veterans return to civilian life, they deserve your recognition and support. You can help put vets to work by donating your car, truck, or van to Patriotic Hearts. Your donation will directly support programs to help vets find jobs or even start their own business. Donate today for fast, free pickup of your vehicle, running or not. Operators are standing by to answer questions about making a tax-deductible vehicle donation. Find out how you can make a difference in the life of a United States veteran. Call 800-209-6416 for 24-hour response. Call 800-209-6416. 800-209-6416. That's 800-209-6416. Informing America's Farmers and Ranchers, AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. Well, joining us now here on the program as we continue our harvest tour around the Corn Belt, around the country, and get an update on how things are looking here for this fall harvest. Bryant Lures with LG Seeds joins us. He is covering parts of northeast Missouri, southeast Iowa. And Bryant, thanks so much for joining us on the program today. I hope you're doing well. Yeah, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me, Jesse. It's a, it's a pleasure to join you here and talk to you about kind of what I'm seeing in uh, early harvest results here. Well, let's dive in and, and talk about this. Northeast Missouri, Southeast Iowa. I know you mentioned me, you kind of cover up into East Central Iowa a little bit too. And, and I, I've heard the, the term variability here this growing season has been thrown around a lot. It's the, it's the the trendy word to use. So just give us kind of an overview. What have you seen this growing season in your territory and and how are things shaping up here at the start of harvest so far? Yeah, so I mean, I can kind of break it down into almost three segments, to be honest with you. I mean, you kind of have the northern part of my territory, what I'll call the central part, which would be that southeast Iowa corridor and then the southern part down into northeast Missouri. Um you know, all of it started off what I'd say pretty good. We planted into great soil conditions um, in a lot of this area, had excellent emergence. We did turn off a little bit cool, but didn't seem to really affect stuff too much. Um, I'd say mid-growing season was kind of on the dry side. And as we kind of rolled into August, things got really, really dry in a lot of areas. And I mean, quite honestly, we went into harvest in a lot of these spots with pretty low expectations because... Um, you know, you throw in some hundred degree days or honestly a hundred degree week there in August, um, with little to no moisture during grain fill and that, that usually is a recipe for disaster in a lot of spots. Um, you know, as I've been seeing some of these results come in, especially in that Southeast Iowa area and even up into kind of the East central Iowa area, um, guys have been pleasantly surprised corn yields, soybean yields have been. I don't know, probably 10 to 20% higher than a lot of guys had anticipated. Um, so that's been a pleasant surprise for us. As we get into Northeast Missouri, that area is a little bit more variable. Um, mm -hmm. There's some really poor stuff down there. You get into some of the, the pockets that got some rain and you get into a lot better crops. But yeah, you said it, variability is just, I mean, it's going to be the name of the game. Um, even the guys that I'm hearing are in good corn, they'll go from, mm -hmm. you know, 30 bushel to 300 bushel in the same pass within, you wow. know, 50 feet sometimes. So it's, it's been crazy. Was it mostly mm -hmm. just the weather impacts uh, on the crop this year? Were there any pest or disease pressures that were really big in your territory, Bryant? 
So the only pest that I could really point out this year would probably be rootworm. Um, as we get into that east central Iowa area, the rootworm pressure, you know, traditionally pretty high, and that did not change this year. It might actually be higher in some of those areas than what we've seen in the past. So um, that definitely had an impact on areas. That's probably about the only pest I can point to, though. Um, and then getting into to, to the disease side of things, I mean, we did see a little tar spot kind of started on the west side of the territory this year, which is a little unusual. Um, you know, that eastern Iowa corridor is generally kind of the hot pocket for it. And we did see that roll in, but it probably didn't come in till I'm going to say like August 10th time frame. So it was late enough that in most areas, at least in my territory, I don't think we saw any yield effect from it. Um, you know, finding a little northern corn leaf blight out there late, a little gray leaf spot late, but all pretty low pressure um, to the point where I'd say probably didn't really affect yield much. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, uh, harvest is is ramping up. I, would you have any tips for folks as they're maybe trying to prioritize fields and make those decisions here during a busy time of year? I mean, are, are we worried about some of the stands out there, maybe in cornfields or, or anything like that right now? Yeah, I think in spots that should be a major concern for guys. I mean, you said it, prioritizing harvest. Those are the key words right now. Um, as we went into, you know, late in that corn plant's life with very little moisture and no moisture in a lot of these areas, um, that plant tends to cannibalize the stock and put all that into the ear. And the yields I'm hearing, it's been doing a very good job of that, but we do sacrifice standability. And so, I know you go out there and start pinching stocks. Um, a lot of them are pretty hollow. So yeah, prioritize harvest. I would be looking at your fields out there. Um, there's going to be a difference in hybrids. There's going to be a difference in location. I mean, uh, rainfall just miles apart this year was was vastly different. And that's going to equate to some pretty vast changes in, in just plant integrity late in the season here. So check mm -hmm. your fields. Um, make a harvest schedule and prioritize those ones that you think are just kind of on the weaker end on the stock side, because as we get into, you know, early to mid October here, I think there's, there's going to be some issues on some of those. Well, Brian, I think as well, a big key, of course, uh, getting our harvest done in a timely manner, being safe, but then also being able to turn our attention to 2024. We're going to be putting a new crop in the ground here, just a few short months time. It's hard to think about it that way, but it's the truth. So uh, learning from some of the things that we learned this year and and preparing that plan for next year, I know is, is going to be top of mind for a lot of producers here as well the next couple of weeks, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, as we get into harvest here, guys are going to start thinking about uh, fertilizer going into 2024. And I think, sure. you know, we talked about dry soils and a lot of guys are going to want to put fall anhydrous on. Um and I think that's going to be very challenging here this year if we don't get some rainfall, because you're either not going to be able to get that bar in the ground or if you do, it's not going to seal well. And so we uh, we really do need to pick up some some rain here as we head into fall, if not for fall fertilizer applications, just to go into 2024 with with a little bit of moisture in the tank. Right. I mean, when we start out dry, generally we we struggle a little bit and we kind of flirted with that this year. So. Um, some rainfall would be very beneficial for everybody, but yeah, look into 2024. I mean, if we do go into the season with what I'll call an empty tank in that soil moisture profile, I think we're going to need to be very aware of selecting products that, uh, have really good emergence, um, and products that probably can do pretty well with, uh, with a little bit of drought stress. So I'd say product selection as guys are 
you know, thinking about ordering seed here this fall should be top of mind. Um, and pay attention to those products that are showing up well in some of those drought stressed areas and still having good performance as well as that good late season intactness. Fantastic thoughts. We do appreciate the time. Bryant Lures with LG Seeds covering Northeast Missouri, Southeast Iowa. Thanks for being with us here today. We appreciate the time. We'll talk to you again soon. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks, Jesse. Have a good one. All right, we're out of time here on AOA today, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel, fueled by innovation, power to perform. On tomorrow's program, it's the October episode of the Monthly Grind with the National Corn Growers Association, and we'll be joined by Senate Ag Economist John Newton. Have a great rest of your day. I'm Jesse Allen. Thanks for listening to AOA. Challenge. It's not something you shy from. It's a chance to up your game. Every day brings a new challenge, but with the Enhanced Channel Seed brand on your side, you can rise to it. With our top-performing seed, innovative digital tools, and expanded agronomic support, you can turn tomorrow's challenges into your next advantage. Your Enhanced Channel Seed brand. Let's rise to the challenge. Learn more at channel.com rise. Read and follow pesticide label directions, IRM, grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. The landscape of media has changed and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information. While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. In a recent survey, farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm radio continues to be transparent, honest, and trustworthy. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. You are not your diagnosis. A medical chart is not your identity. And vision loss does not define you. Your drive shows who you are. And you are not alone. Because we are driven too. To be a beacon of strength. A champion of courage. An advocate for hope. You are not alone. Because we are stronger together. We drive the research for the cures we are finding. We're fighting macular degeneration, retinitis pigmentosa, Usher syndrome, and the entire spectrum of blinding retinal diseases. We fund. We fight. We win. We, 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 we are, are the, the foundation, foundation fighting, fighting blindness. blindness. Together, we are fighting blindness. Join the fight at fightingblindness.org.